Hello, and welcome to the 50 Women Over 50 podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey. Now, on this show, I try to highlight women who have broken barriers, challenged the status quo, or have simply lived remarkable lives beyond the age of 50. From pioneering entrepreneurs to passionate activists, artists, educators, and more, I hope to inspire listeners to embrace the wisdom and vitality of women who have experienced a bit more of life. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered as together we extol the lives of 50 exceptional women over 50. Today, I'm welcoming to the show author Susan Gold, whose new book, Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom, is a powerful memoir of her own journey of growing up in a troubled home and using self-empathy and kindness to heal and thrive. Anyone who's lived through a less than perfect childhood and who hasn't will learn a lot from this interview. What did you do to celebrate your 50th birthday? So I was really into triathlon still. And I had my swim team over for pancakes after the morning workout. And it was a lot of pancakes and it was a lot of waffles because I ran out of pancake batter. And <laughs> yeah, it was fine. And I was, I was probably fittest in my early 50s than I've ever been. But I have to say that that fitness was a ruse. It was hiding a lot of pain and masking a lot of trauma. You're my second triathlete. Episode four with Basha Vanderveen. She's also a triathlete. I think I used endurance sport like a heroin addict would use heroin. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to surrender because I was too terrified. And then I was surrendered by the universe. I, I went from national rankings to not being able to walk around my block. And then I had a severe hip impingement left side and refused to go by the Western traditional route because of my age, they would have just said, okay, insert titanium, Pasco. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't willing. I am very happy to say it's been a long route. I'm out of chronic pain and I'm actually, I'm actually able to walk again. <laughs> it's good. And do you do any competing at all in any not any longer. Oh, okay. And I'm really grateful. There was so much self-worth and self-esteem and value that came from that. And I think a piece of that is so healthy and actually commendable. But then you cross that invisible line, which I've crossed several times in different modalities throughout my life journey thus far. And I'm so much happier now because I can get up and just do a little gentle yoga. I'll go for a walk with the dog and I'll be okay. I don't have to jump in the pool at 5.30 a.m. and swim 4,000 meters and then jump into the kettlebell class and then go to hot yoga later after I've walked the dog three times. So Jeepers. When you were in the throes of all that, how, how did you earn a living when you were spending so much time on your athletic career? I've been very fortunate, maybe. I never fit the corporate system, Cheryl, and it just didn't match. I didn't understand why you had to go to HR to talk to someone who's two doors down from you and why you could just speak with them direct and why mm -hmm. you were sitting at your desk at 6.30 when you were really done at 4.10. 
So I, I, I spent most of my career as an independent consultant and freelancer. I was started out matching celebrities with brands kind of before it was chic. My first deal was to knock on the door of the factory and convince Andy Warhol to do a endorsement for Pontiac that he did not want to do, trust me. But I created a name for myself uh, with that. And that led me into television and ultimately into film as well. And then when reality television just got too sticky for my tastes, I shifted into more PR from a biz dev and media outreach perspective from Mm -hmm. having had the experience as a producer. And that gave me the freedom to be home with my son and also to train the way that I wanted to train. You're kind of in my line of work then. I think so. Yeah. What, what kind of clients are you working with these days? I'm very selective. And as far as my consulting work in PR, I'm working for a palliative care foundation. They, they promote end of life care and choices while you're healthy, as opposed to while they're trying to push you into ICU. And I also white label for a firm out in LA. It's multiple accounts, but I'm slowly transitioning. I wrote a book. It was just published this year and that's leading me just naturally. It's really interesting how it's happening into working with people who are walking through traumas similar to those that I've walked through. Mm. And why the book now? I was encouraged since 2007 to write a book. The first was an Irish seer. And I was like, oh, please, I don't want to go through that for a PR tool. Plus, I had no idea what book he was talking about. And then probably it was 2019, another intuitive said, you have a book to write. And another one said, you have three books to write. And I was like, okay, I better get going on this before it becomes a library. But I didn't think that my story and my life trajectory was really that different from anyone else's and why would anybody be interested? And also I was happy to have done the work that I had really in self-realization and self-exploration. I needed to, Mm -hmm. to stay on the planet, but I didn't really think that I'd be opening that up for the public to peruse. But the more I sat with it, the more I realized, yeah, I have walked through a lot of fire. I've had an interesting professional trajectory. I've had a really interesting personal trajectory. I've learned a lot of different modalities. Uh, I've been a longtime meditator, just the endurance sport as well. But I've learned a lot of processes that have helped me evolve as a human being by choosing to stand up and ultimately walk through all that life has delivered. I don't know if it's just because people share so much information on social media, but it seems to me that over the last 10 years or so, that people have a lot more trauma in their lives. I mean, I I don't know if they've always had the trauma and I'm just becoming aware of it because people are talking about it and sharing it. But do do you think life is becoming more traumatic for us? No, I think it's been highly traumatic. I think it's been closeted. I came from a very chaotic and abusive upbringing and it was hurt and damaged children, raising hurt and damaged children. My mother was horribly abused as a child. 
and my father was the same. I I feel, and as especially my son's generation, he's nineteen and trying to get through college in three years instead of four. God bless him. <laughs> They're much more comfortable talking about mental health mm-hmm. and mental health issues, and I think with social media. It's more exposed. There's not as much opportunity to hide. I mean, my friends from high school, my college boyfriend, when I published the book, they said, we had no idea Mm. this was happening in your life. It was present a calm and lovely front and then close the door. Mm. And there was a lot of violence and chaos speaking specifically to my own experience. And that caused issues in my adulthood. And I'm just grateful that I've been provided the platform and the help to to work with it and become the authentic individual that I truly am. And what do your readers hope to learn? I think that those that are drawn to this book really may have had their own trauma or are experiencing it, maybe they're a little unsettled in their adult life. Maybe there's some red flags. Maybe they're having issues with alcohol, clinical depression. Maybe they awaken to understand they're in a narcissistic relationship or are surrounded by friends who are narcissistic. Maybe things are starting to fall into place. I think there's a, a grand awakening, Sherilyn, going going on in this in this great, beautiful, exotic planet that we're on. And I think we're here to experience a schoolroom, a classroom, if we choose to step up and embrace and embrace it. See it as an opportunity to transform rather than play a victim or martyr role. And I think that's really why I came. And I feel my family of origin was absolutely perfect for me, mm-hmm. for what I wanted to move through and experience and triumph over. And I have profound respect for both my parents mm-hmm. and what they walked through and the roles that they played. So... I have an opinion on this. Sure. Sort of professional. Like I have met many, many strong, smart, independent women who work in PR and marketing agencies or run them or work as independent consultants. And they, like there's a theme I have observed where they're it's an emotional business. A lot of people get quite emotional about their work in this business. Mm-hmm. And you, I can't tell, tell how many times I've heard, get over it and move on. Get over it and move on. Get over it and move on. And I feel that that's kind of what makes us successful in our, in our profession is our ability to get over it and move on. And, and from what you're saying about your early trauma, I'm, I'm wondering if this is a fairly consistent theme for women that do what we do? Well, I think that we've been trained as women mm. to, to nurture and serve and yeah. suck it up and move on. Yeah. And I think there's an incredible double standard. I'm grateful that 
the women's rights movement was as strong as they were. I'm grateful to have had the door open. I mean, Barbara Walters was one of my exercise clients. I used to watch her on my beanbag chair on my belly in my basement. And that's why I wanted to go to New York City. And I was working at a large global talent agency and couldn't earn enough to meet my needs. I started training people on the sides and she became one of my clients. And I knocked on her door one morning at 7 a.m. And she opened the door and she said, Susan, get in here. What's going on? Like she was intuitive. She knew. And I had been sexually harassed in the office, in the workplace the day before by my boss. And she got it right out of me and offered to come to work with me and confront this man. I mean, did she do that? I said, no, I I turned her down. I said, Barbara, let me, let me handle this myself. And I did that day. And he said, do you have everything you need? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're fired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I got sidetracked because I'm not answering your question directly, but I feel like the suck up and move through it and the valiant efforts got me to a malignancy. Hmm. And I was able to address it in bits. I mean, each decade has a theme for me. And I think it all came to a head in a perfect storm with the disintegration of my marriage. Hey. Because I was How old supporting, were you then? I was in my, I was 50, 53. Okay. 53. Yeah. When the mask, his mask fell and so did mine. The wake up call was I was on a mattress on the floor in a partial conversion in the garage in a home I bought and maintained for our family while he took up residence in the master bedroom and was suing me for divorce. And that was a gift because it truly woke me up to the paradigm and the patriarchal toxicity I was carrying and that I felt worthy of because Mm -hmm. I was fearful of abandonment and I was neglecting myself and I didn't understand it. It was one year of walking through that. The way to divorce one that I perceive as a narcissist is no contact. I had no verbal contact and I held no eye contact for one year in that circumstance. And that was the way to navigate through that ending. And I could write him a six-figure check. And he went on to his next source of supply. And I walked into the gift of understanding my power, my accomplishments for the first time. And my heart started to authentically open. And that's when I really, for the first time, gained a sense of authentic self-esteem and self-worth. And I think that was a result of, I was walking through as best I could, but there were certain pockets that I wasn't willing to walk through. I was too afraid. And abandonment was certainly one of those. That circumstance gave me that gift of walking through that. And I have compassion for my ex-husband, and I refer to him as one of my greatest gurus. He really was an amazing teacher. Mm -hmm. I guess there's no way you could have written your book 
before you were 50 years old then? You had to um, I, experience. I, yeah, I think it would have been a different story. And it was in writing my book. And I went at it like a bulldog producer, 15 minutes at the computer every day, no matter what. And it was a great way to come up with a first draft. Yeah. But I wasn't really connected to the material. And a very wise mentor said, why don't you take a second pass and take it from little Susie's point of view? Mm. And I'd done like inner child work since Alice Miller and I was in my 20s. And it always felt ick, Sherilyn. It's mm. like, I don't have time for that. I've got to toughen up. I've got to be a tiger, not a baby. Mm -hmm. But I had enough work to know she was right. And I did. And that was the best thing that I've ever done because that's when it all softened. The manuscript fell into place for me. And it wasn't even that there were so many changes. It's just I walked through it holding the hand of that little one who had been through it all mm. and saw it all. And that was a really healing moment. And then my life became a beautiful brocade and a lot of shame fell down. Wow. Sounds, what is the word I'm looking for? I want to say transformational, but that's not the word I'm looking for. I'm thinking like maybe, maybe it's transformative. It's like very kind of spiritual as well as experiential. I think that, that this truly is a gift. I mean, I know I'm turning a traditional view on its head, but coming from the circumstances I did and now to see that as proper placement, mm. as huge, as huge shifting material authentically, I don't have that saran wrap on me anymore that mm -hmm. shielded me from you, even though you would have thought I was your best friend. Mm -hmm. I could carry on such an engaging conversation with you and you would think I would mean it, but I would extricate myself and go home and say, glad that's over. I don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. I used to come down the off ramp off the LA freeways and there'd be someone homeless with a sign. And I would disregard this human being. My experience helped me transform that. I came down and opened my wallet and reached in. And whatever came out, I gave. And I connected with that individual in their eyes. Mm -hmm. And I could see how much that acknowledgement of their humanity meant to them and how surprised they were. And that's essentially the same experience I waking up, standing up and telling the truth and not allowing myself to point fingers out and blame or eating the rat poison and expecting that challenger or that challenge to die and evaporate. Mm -mm. I had to stand up for my own being. And how is your book doing now that it's been launched? My goodness. <laughs> well, first of all, my publisher keeps track of all that. I don't want to know all that stuff because my mission in my own heart 
is to just give the message, share my experience, and I'm not selling. That makes me sick to my stomach. I know that people are coming to this book that are feeling attractive. They're feeling curious for some reason, and it's surprising them. Some have described it more as an activation. They're not the same at the beginning of the story as they are at the end. And there's a workbook in the appendix. I thought it was a throwaway, but my publisher's like, this is going to change people's lives. It's the exercises that I use to navigate a lot of the, the issues that I've had And I share them openly and with love. And they're having a profound impact. The book is doing its job and I'm stepping aside. I'm just the conduit, Sherilyn. Excellent. What advice would you give your 30-year-old self having come all this way? Slow down. Be gentle with you. It's okay. You're safe and you're beautiful just for who you are. There's no need to prove it. This is interview 33, and this has come up many, many times. The whole thing about slowing down and taking a breath and and just experiencing life. Not not racing on to the next the next stage and stuff. And I uh, I totally hear you on this. I think that that's if there's one thing that we can teach the generation coming up behind us, it's that you have enough time to do it all. Just relax <laughs> and enjoy it. You have to be very intentional about it, though. But I think we're I think we're stepping out of the matrix. Is what I'm hoping. At yeah. least that's what I've experienced, and am still walking towards. Not perfectly, and nor do I want to do it perfectly anymore, which is the biggest relief. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, once you let yourself off the hook for that, I mean, life becomes a lot easier, right? When it, when it doesn't have to be all done and all done perfectly. And uh, I mean, it t- took me a long time to learn that lesson. I'm still learning it. <laughs> So yeah, but that's one thing that we should tell our 30-year-old selves. You don't have to do it all and you don't have to do it all perfectly. It's okay to make a mistake and to move on from it. Yeah, totally agree with that. What are you doing for fun these days? Well, for fun, I take my dog on walks and (laughs) we we look for birds because I'm on the prairie. I didn't think I would be. I thought I'd be in the forest. It's Montana, right? But the beauty of the prairie is incredible. And then just between us, <laughs> sometimes I go out in the middle of the li- living room. And when you were a kid, you put your arms out and you like start s- circling around, spinning circles. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Do that because it's really fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a granddaughter who dances. She's nine. And you're right. There's so much joy and fun in it. And, and I mean, it does a lot of confidence building and self-concept building and stuff for them but they just kind of know the pure joy of movement and music and they just they're in the moment and loving it and so uh, yeah i i hear you on that it's, I, it's a long time since i've danced but <laughs> but i certainly think that it's something that young people should hang on to for sure well i always i always did 
And my dad has that in him. It's just curiosity and desire to like goof around and joke around and explore. And I knew if that would be trained out of me, I would lose something very priceless. So even in the darkest days, I've always felt that little light in there. No, that's good. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? In 10 years? I see myself with a flourishing business helping others transform from trauma. I I see myself very comfortable. And I see myself engaging with others from a very content state of wisdom. And I'm very proud without being egotistical. Yeah. Living more, I'd say, heaven on earth. But not retiring. It doesn't really appeal to me, Sherilyn. In a way, I feel like I've always been retired because most of my career, except a stint at ICM and a stint at Fox, I've worked for my, myself. I've been outside that, that system that sort of has that noose around your neck. In my opinion, a lot of people thrive in it. I just, I don't. Like, I'm really intrigued with life. And, and I have a lot of energy for a 63-year-old. Mm. And I, I just don't see myself retiring anytime soon. Again, I think this is interview 33 and I've only had two women say they want to retire. <laughs> None of us want to retire. We want to keep, you know, maybe change what, we, what we're doing or work in a different way, but everyone still wants to keep contributing in some kind of professional, meaningful way in their communities and, and, and engaging with other people in, a, in the way that they're doing now. Which is not surprising because I don't think women ever have retired. I know that my <laughs> my grandmothers worked till the day that they couldn't work, and <laughs> we never retire. The men retire, women keep working, and I'm not really surprised to hear that. As women, we we're we're not planning on stopping working. No, not at all. But let's move to the quick round. What are you? I feel like I need my buzzer. <laughs> to buzz in. <laughs> okay. That's actually a good idea. Maybe I'm thinking of for the final show, maybe doing a live show. Oh, so, wow. So maybe that. we'll have that <laughs> where people buzz in their answers. <laughs> be fine. What are you reading or watching or binging right now? I'm reading quiet marketing because with this new book, obviously you market, right? But I can't handle all this digital cacophony. And all these emails I'm getting from my new best friend or people willing to bear their soul if you buy their webinar, reduced from oh. 5000 to yes, 897 yes. <laughs> I feel like I've been let out of some digital prison. This woman is from Australia and she's sharing her experience on marketing her own way. I'm, I'm really appreciating that. Okay. I'm going to put a link to the show notes. That's called Quiet Marketing. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Okay. All right. You talked a little bit about the work that you're doing with palliative care. Is there anything that you're doing like on a volunteer basis or giving back? Well, I, the way that I get palliative, the palliative care foundation that I work with is Knip Dixon Foundation mm-hmm. and that I'm a paid consultant. But the way that I give back is with homeless animals, specifically okay. dogs. I really feel that 
these pets are our little earth angels and they're doing everything they can to suck up all the negativity for us and to give us messages of hope and joy. That's where my focus and my heart is. Do you rescue then? I do. Nice. Nice. Yes. I mean, a dog, having a dog or or any pet really is, it brings such a desirable dimension to life, to a human life, I think. I mean, that's why we've made pets of animals since we've stood up on our hind legs. Is there an app you couldn't live without? No, there's not, believe it or not. Although I do love my Robin Hood app, but if it went away tomorrow, so be it. What's the Robin Hood app? I've heard of it, but I can't think of what it is. It's an investment platform. Yes, yes. Okay, right. And is there an over 50s life hack you'd like to share? Yes. Be your authentic self. Always expect the magic. And I'm not doing any plastic surgery or enhancements. I want to know who I'm going to be. And I deserve every wrinkle and brown spot. I've earned it. And I'm grateful for the wisdom. This has been 50 Women Over 50, a podcast for women whose personal confidence is born of experience. Thank you to my guest, decorated endurance athlete and author Susan Gold, who at age 53 started a journey to meet the demons of her upbringing. The big takeaway for me from this interview is about learning to be kinder to yourself, remembering the child you were and witnessing your own life's journey through that child's eyes. Forgive yourself for mistakes you might have made and the chances you didn't take. This is Susan's powerful prescription. Join me again next week when my guest will be Patty Handy, a divorced mother who at age 62 is pivoting her career to help women step into their own power by redressing their relationship with money. That's next week. But in the meantime, please drop me a rating or a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. Let's connect. Let's create a whole community of wise women over 50 by sharing a link to this show with your friends and connections. See you next time on 50 Women Over 50. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey.